Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Photographer's Notebook Podcast. Today, we are going to discuss a different genre of photography, shooting live concerts. If you've ever been to a live concert, I'm sure you've seen people at the front of the stage with cameras and wondered how to break into this field. It's a challenging form of photography, and my special guest is going to provide some insight on what it takes to break into this field of image making. So don't go anywhere. Listening to the Photographer's Notebook Podcast, the destination for inspiring photographer interviews and conversations. On every episode, we bring you photography tips and tricks to bring your photography to the next level. We also bring you down-to-earth guidance for couples arranging their weddings and some innovative information for entrepreneurs to pump up their business. Let's get started. Here's your host, Daniel Douglas. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the very first episode of the Photographer's Notebook Podcast. I'm thrilled to have on the show in studio one of the top concert photographers in the Washington, D.C. metro area. He's a classically trained musician and has photographed some of the top performers in the entertainment industry. He has taught classes on low light photography and will share the ins and outs of how he got started in concert photography. Joining me in studio is Mike Bird. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate you bringing me in for your very first podcast. It is an absolute honor to be here, my friend. The first time uh, I met you, Mike, was at a workshop you taught on off-camera flash photography. And I know that you also shoot uh, professional headshots, portraits, and events, as well as some top entertainers in the music business. So I just want to mention a few of those. For example, I know you've shot uh, Extreme, Smash Mouth, Brian Adams, and Toto. Those are just a few that, that you've had the opportunity to photograph. Which concert session that you photograph stands out to you? Probably the easiest one is Toto. Toto was one of the bucket list bands that I've felt like I've always wanted to photograph. As, as musicians, they're probably some of the most quintessential, you know, musicians of, of our time. I mean, those uh, guys that have that are in the band have done studio stuff for Michael Jackson. They've done uh, studio things for Boss Skaggs. I mean, these guys are just pros in the in that field. So Toto probably stands out as the as the pinnacle at this point in time, only because uh, as a as the respect I have for them as musicians, uh, being able to photograph them was absolutely uh, one of the one of the highlights of of being able to photograph concerts and live music. Were you able to actually meet Toto uh, or were you just in the pit? I was just in the photo pit. Uh, I, I didn't get on quick enough to get one of their VIP passes, which would have given me an opportunity. Uh, but just being able to, to photograph and being able to get the press pass, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure. Being able to get the press pass was probably the biggest hurdle uh, because you can't shoot, uh, you know, those those types of concerts without being properly credentialed. Getting those credentials can be a, a big pain if you don't know how to do it. Uh, so just getting that, I was happy. But uh, you were just 
happy to. I was just happy to be there. I mean, to be, be perfectly honest, I mean, these these guys are like legends to me uh, in in the music world, and and being able to photograph them and come come away with some really amazing shots that I thought were really really good was just it was just the highlight. Mike, I read your your bio, and. You were born in the southern half of the United States, Mississippi, and you spent four years uh, as a child living in Spain. Give us a little bit more about your background. You know, I was brought up in a very tight knit family, you know, very southernist-esque, if you will. And when I was 11 years old, uh, my dad was uh, former military and he stayed in the uh, Department of Defense. We had an opportunity to move to Madrid, Spain, where we were stationed for roughly four years. And through that time, uh, I was really fortunate to have lived in Europe and experienced that as a kid. The food, the culture, the language and all that stuff was pretty amazing. And um, after four years, we moved back to Mississippi, which for me (laughs) was a culture shock, you know, having lived in (laughs) Europe where you can do pretty much anything you want. And then you get back to, you know, the U.S. where everything's, you know, fairly, you know, in the U.S. fashion restricted or whatnot, even back in the 80s, which is, you know, when, when this time period was. Uh, it was a culture shock. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but, you know, we just kind of pushed through it and I finished high school, went to college, uh, was a music major for a number of years and, um, you know, took, took the, the requisite breaks from college to, to work and things like that to figure out what I wanted to do. Uh, and then just, you know, basically kind of pushed through and found music and photography as a creative outlet. So, Let's talk about your background in music. How did that come about? Uh, I've always had a love for music. Uh, growing up, uh, I listened to bands that probably were a little more uh, adult-oriented than people my age were, were listening to. So I was listening to a lot of Rush, again, a lot of Toto, a lot of Boston, you know, that type of thing. But uh, I respected them for the musicianship. And uh, I really wanted to I, – I, it just it was a draw to me. So the music – uh, uh, genre, if you will, as far as the, the, what I could do creatively, uh, it it was just a, it was a huge draw for me. And so I, uh, the first instrument I learned how to play was trumpet and then, uh, found out that I really enjoyed being a drummer. And so I really put my creative efforts and focus into being, uh, as solid of a drummer as I could. And so over the course of, you know, X amount of years, uh, I started learning how to play. I found jazz to be probably the biggest uh, creative uh, force that, you know, I, I felt challenged with it. And so uh, a fusion and jazz was just my my thing, yeah. my niche. Have you played in any bands? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, all through college, all through um, – uh, even after college, you know, that's how I put myself through college is how I ate, you know, it was basically, you know, I'd, I'd play pretty much any gig in uh, the Memphis area, the, which is where I was going to school at the time. And, and at Mississippi. least you ate in college. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I was a starving musician, but, you know, I was, I was able to at least sustain myself in some way, shape or fashion through other odd jobs and things, but playing was always my first go-to. And so whether it was a dive jazz bar at a hamburger joint or playing bigger venues, uh, I just, I enjoyed playing. I enjoyed the effect that that creativity had on people. And, you know, you're sitting there uh, as a drummer and you're laying down a backbeat or something and everybody's just grooving to. There's just absolutely no feeling like that in the world. What kind of venues did you play? I mean, what were they just like? Joints somewhere Every, and in between everything in between. So the largest uh, venue I played was roughly I want to say if I remember right, it was roughly around five thousand, 
and then I played. That's, you know, that's pretty. It's pretty not bad. Things. Yeah, it's not bad. There was uh, some college gigs that they were, you know, that they they put on where they rented venues and they brought in multiple bands. Uh, it was, you know, back then in, in Memphis, it was a big deal. I mean, Memphis, Nashville, you know, those are some of the music cities of of the country. And uh, so I played those and then I played the dive bars. You know, I played where, you know, people were in there and it was a hamburger joint. And they, I had to cram what I could on my drum set, you know, in this corner of a, of a dive bar and, and play the best that I could with, you know, two or three or four other people that were playing in the band with me. And it was just you made the best out of it. You know, if I made 50 bucks, I made 50 bucks. You know, if I made enough to eat or they paid me in food, I was able to eat that day, you know. And anybody that's gone to college and, you know, kind of understands the the financial strappings of that can relate. Uh, but it was I and I enjoyed equally playing in those dive bars as I did the bigger venues. Did you play any venues locally uh, here in D.C.? Yes. Uh, no, no. I just basically when I moved up here back in 2003, uh, I was playing, but it was just basically to keep my, uh, you know, it was for, for my own kind of pleasure, I guess. And uh, I, I really enjoyed it up until, you know, my, my, my son was born. So we needed the room to, to make a, a nursery out of it. So there goes the drum set. And uh, it's kind of one of those things where I, I look back on fondly. It's not something I'm going to ever write off. I think uh, in due time, I'll probably play again. But uh, for the time being, uh, between the photography, the regular day job, raising kids and things like that. It, uh, it, it, it's a full-time job in that of itself. So I'll, uh, I'll put that on hold for now. That's interesting. So what really compelled you to be a photographer? You, you, you're into music, you're classically trained. So what, what was the motivation? What compelled you to become a photographer? So one year I got a birthday present, which was a Canon Rebel kit uh, camera with the kit lens on it and it was just something that I've kind of messed around with before you know with little point and shoot cameras and things like that and for a birthday present I got uh, a, a nice little rebel camera it was an entry-level camera and uh, I, I took to it and really started to enjoy taking pictures and creating photographs whatever that might be and I, just like every other photographer out there you, you take pictures of literally anything and everything and you think it's art, you know, and you think it's something that, oh, man, this is the best. And then now I look back on stuff from, you know, six, seven years ago. I'm like, what was I thinking taking that picture? But at the time, I was kind of trying to, like every other photographer, find my my niche, my my, you know, where I wanted to take photography. But what I enjoyed about it was, like music, there's a technical side to it. Uh, in music, I studied the theory of it, uh, composition, point, counterpoint. I was doing a lot of things in photography that I could apply directly to the th lessons that I learned in music. And so exposure – Knowing what shutter speed to use, knowing what ISO to use to to you know to be able to create that perfect exposure, uh, to me segued from music to photography fairly easy. So I could kind of grasp and analyze what what the elements for a good photograph were. So I, I stayed with it for about six months with the Rebel, and I said, "This is after research. This is I gotta I gotta up up the game." And so I bought my very first professional grade camera, which is, uh, as you know, the 5D Mark II. 
full which, frame. Which I now own. This is correct. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, I, I got the 5D Mark II. I knew I wanted a full frame because I wanted the quality of the pictures to be uh, – I figured if I'm going to take these pictures and spend the time, I want them to turn out, you know – uh, to be as crisp and as as sharp as possible, and then I started investing in lenses. I remember uh, getting my first professional grade lens, which was the uh, 70200 uh, 2.8, and then I just started investing in lens. every time I could find something uh, used on eBay or buy it new from places like B and H. I would invest in lenses, and before I knew it, uh, once I got the 5D Mark II, I think it took me about eight, you know, maybe ten months. I had a pretty impressive little inventory of lenses that I still own to this day. And uh, so the music and photography aspects, I was able to coincide and mend and gel together into those technical aspects. And so photography was a very uh, interesting creative outlet for me post the musician Mike, now the photographer Mike. You and I kind of mesh and gel in certain ways. Um, we're both gearheads, and uh, when I took your off-camera flash workshop, and 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 just to give a short background because the story is not about me, it's about Mike. Um, I've been shooting since the days of film. When I transitioned over to digital, my first camera in the digital world was a Rebel T2i. <laughs> And so <laughs> there you go. This this is a first for me. I didn't know Mike started with a Rebel uh T series camera either. So this is I'm I'm finding this out um uh, brand new. So this is how Mike and I uh mesh a little bit. It's kind of funny. But um I started with the Rebel T2i and j just to see if cuz I'd stopped doing photography for a number of years just to see if I Still had the passion and wanted to get into it. Unlike Mike, I don't have a music background, but I do have an information technology background. So that piqued my interest in digital. So when I stumbled upon this course, um, and, and I was used to just manual flashes and all that, so I was really struggling. And Mike knows that. He's shaking his head right now. <laughs> I was really struggling. I, I feel your struggle. I was so... I guess, intrigued with the way Mike taught and how it went. After uh, the session, Mike and I stood outside the studio for, gosh, what was it? At least a half an hour, 40 minutes, maybe close even to an longer. Hour. I remember it being close to an hour, yeah. And at that time, I had uh, graduated from a T2i to a 7D. And so Mike and I were standing out talking, and I said, you know, I want to do this whole full-frame camera. The Crop sensor is just not going to work for me anymore. And so early on, you heard when Mike graduated to his full frame, the uh, 5D Mark II. I now have that 5D Mark II. <laughs> that, that very same 5D Mark <laughs> That very Mark II. same camera. I bought it from him. He didn't know me from a hill of beans. I gave him a check. And he said, I trust you, dude. Yep, <laughs> you <know? laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, we became really good friends. And, and I'm happy about that. So now... Enough about me. <laughs> <laughs> no, continue, really. Um, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> we talked a little bit about concert photography. I do want to know, and I'm sure f folks out there want to know, how, you, uh, how did you get started in concert photography? So take us through it. 
So it was, it was it was a perfect storm, if you will. Like every photographer, I think I mentioned before, you know, you're trying to find your niche. You know, do you want to do travel? Do you want to do commercial product photography? Do you want to do strictly portraiture and things? And you can relate to this because you and I were some of the founding members of Union 206 way back in the day. We were studio members, and we were—I was using it to do model headshots and things. And and uh, I did enjoy the studio aspect of it, but I found event photography in particular to be uh, very rewarding. I like the pace of it, and I like the fact that it forced me to know my craft on a level that a lot of people uh, tend to uh, maybe discount uh, because if they had, they're in a studio, they have, you know, it's a studio, you have ultimate control. You can dial up or down your, your exposures and your, your, um, uh, your strobe lights or whatever you're using, whereas in event photography, you have just a finite amount of time to get those shots right and your camera settings and your knowledge on how to get that exposure has to be pretty spot on. So I enjoyed that aspect. So I started to gravitate more towards the event stuff, and you know, just do the um, the the studio stuff as a, as a as kind of a side thing. So I started doing some research on on event photography and came across a couple of people. Uh, probably the biggest one is uh, Todd and Chris Oyoung, and uh, I encourage anybody and your listeners to go to their website. Uh, o w y o u n g is their last name, and there's Todd and Chris, their brothers, and they do uh, some phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal concert photography. And I started looking at it, and I went, "This I, again, being a musician, and then being now a photographer, I'm like." the little light bulb went off and I'm like, how did I not think of this before? And so, uh, I started really getting into learning that craft and I bought a book, uh, by a gentleman by the name of Alan Hess, H E S S. And he has a book called all access. I still have that book to this day. And I read it and it was a template for how to get into concert photography. So I started reading it, and what I loved about the book is it was uh, it was a it was literally a roadmap on how to do it. And he gave you uh, templates and emails of how to send to get press passes and media credentials and things like that. And so the very first concert I was able to get a media pass to was uh, a local band here in D.C. called the Leg Warmers, and they do '80s cover tunes and stuff. And they were performing at the State Theater just outside of D.C. here in the Northern Virginia area. And I was able to get a press pass and I was super, super stoked about it because this was my first time getting into the concert photography scene. And I remember it to like it was yesterday. I went to the concert and uh, unlike most concerts, which we'll talk about, they let me basically shoot the entire show. So I was able to get in there and just shoot as much as I wanted on the 5D Mark II. And if I remember right, I was using uh, my uh, my seventy to two hundred uh, two eight lens probably the most, and so I shot that. Came across with some, uh, came out with some decent shots, and you know gave some to the band as as you know exchange for letting me come and shoot the show, and uh, it it that was where that seed was planted, and so event photography, concert photography, being able to shoot uh, in a very finite amount of time and as technical as concert photography can be because you can't use a flash and you have three songs to get your shots that you want. Uh, and it's the first three songs typically. Uh, and this is what I learned later on shooting these bigger bands, uh, Bruce Hornsby, Brian Adams, Richard Marks, Toto, 
so you get three songs to do it. And Brian Adams, uh, we'll talk about that, but Brian Adams only allowed me two. And so from that standpoint, uh, I was able to, to really get into that type of photography with a local band, build my portfolio, and through building that portfolio, add legitimacy to my concert photography and what I call my hit rate. Uh, I was getting maybe out of every 10 to 15 emails, I would ask for a press pass. I'd get like one maybe. And then uh, over time, you build your port like anything else and people look at your work as your legitimate concert photographer. And my hit rate started to be you know, two out of every 10, four out of every 10, five out of every 10. And before you know it, I was getting uh, media uh, credentials to go shoot the likes of Brian Adams, who is very, very – he's a photographer as well. A very good photographer if you look at any of his work, uh, but he's very guarded on who he allows to shoot his shows. And I was able to to get a press pass for to shoot a show, which was a, a pretty big deal. I just want to mention that uh, Mike did tell me about that book. And once he mentioned it to me, I did purchase that book. I have it. Uh, Amazon has it uh, in uh, soft cover or paperback and the Kindle version. I have the Kindle version, and no, uh, I'm not sponsored by Amazon, just to let you know. <laughs> but I do have that book, and um, it was a, and I read it cover to cover, and it was a very interesting read. It really is a good read for multiple reasons. If you want to get in this type of photography, I mean, it literally is a roadmap. But the other thing, too, is you can use the principles that he talks about uh, of concert photography uh, in event photography and things like that. So it's a good read regardless if this is – if, you know, quick event concert type photography is what you want to get into. It's a good read because it gets into the technical aspects as well, and I learned a lot from it. And so did I. Um, I – shot a few events after that, and it really, really helped. What hurdles did you face when you started concert photography, and how, how did you overcome those those hurdles? What, what were they? So the, probably the biggest hurdle is actually getting permission to shoot uh, in a concert venue. Now, if you go to some of these smaller places, uh, some of the dives, it's really not a big deal. Uh, a lot of bands, especially if they're up and coming, would like the exposure. So you take some pictures, hand them your business card, and a lot of times, you know, they'll uh, either trade or pay or some type of reasonable type of a thing where you can get your photography out there and also build your portfolio. But the biggest hurdle was getting the media passes for the bigger events. And and in the previous question, I kind of touched on it. Uh, the probably the biggest thing, the most sound piece of advice is. Be patient and spend the time to build that portfolio. And it doesn't need to, be, need to be a portfolio of travel photography. It needs to be a portfolio of relevant event and concert photography. Uh, because once you start getting into the bigger names, they're going to want to see that, you know, you're obviously you know what you're doing and that any photography that you do can be used, you know, for marketing and things like that. And it's which is really the bigger motivation to, to shoot the bigger venues. So the biggest hurdle without question was being able to establish a portfolio that I could get those media passes because you have to write to the management. Sometimes you have to write to the band uh, themselves depending on how big they are and then they make the ultimate determination of whether or not you get a media pass because you show up with a professional grade camera to a place like um, National Theater. Uh, I shot uh, Bruce Hornsby at Wolf Trap. You know, so These are large, large venues. 
uh, you, you have to get a media credential. So those are the, that's probably the biggest hurdle. The other hurdle that I faced with, to be honest with you, is learning how to get shots without using a flash in a low light you know, type of a photography situation. Because while the stage is well lit, you have to meter all of that subject, whether you're shooting a drummer, a guitarist, a lead singer, the, uh, the, the way you meter that particular shot is going to determine whether or not you're overexposed, underexposed, or your exposure is dead on and something to work with. Let's talk about that for a minute, because when I um, I reached out to you mm -hmm. uh, about that, because I went to a local dive and I was just sitting there and for no particular reason. And I just started talking to the bartender and the bartender, you know, asked me what I said. Well, I'm a full time photographer. And he said, well, we do events here. And I gave him my card and he pulled out his cell phone and he started looking at my website and looking at some of the images. And he said, are you going to be here for a minute? And I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, I think it was a Monday night. I was there watching the Monday night football game. He said, if you can wait about 20, 30 minutes, the owner wants to talk to you. So he came out and he said, yeah, you know, um, the bartender showed me. Yeah, some of your images and I'm interested we have events here and so uh, the first one I shot was a local group I believe out of Baltimore I'm not quite I don't remember April Sampe was her name and so I had no idea what the heck I was supposed to do I did know that I can't use flash so I reached out, I sent a text to Mike, and I said, dude, can I talk to you for a minute? <laughs> and um, so he started giving me some tips on that, and um, I, I had the 5D Mark II at the time, and uh, a 70 to 200, uh, 2.8, and a 24 to 70 um, uh, lens. Those were the two lenses that I took with me. I have others, but those were the two that I brought with me. So I said to Mike, this is not a big stage. It's a dive place. Pretty nice. But the lighting is terrible. And so he gave me some tips. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I sent you a cell phone shot. You did. Okay. Yes, Just to give you an idea. And that helped a lot because then I could kind of take a look at what you're dealing with and right. kind of tailor make those tips uh, based on that lighting scheme. Yeah. So using that as a scenario, mm -hmm. um, go ahead and talk about, because you, you just mentioned about the lighting situation mm -hmm. and not using flash. So I'm, I'm suspecting that the folks out there... Um, I'm saying, okay, well, I want to go in and shoot these groups in mm -hmm. these local dives. And their lighting is just like Daniel described. Okay. And even though this was a local group, I was asked to come back. Yeah. So there was a few that I that was able to, to pop off there, um, made no money for it. <laughs> <laughs> that is the way we have to do it at first, right? Yeah. With that scenario... Maybe you want to give some some tips on that. So it, it's probably the biggest thing I can tell you is the reason why Daniel now has my 5D Mark II. 
is because what I found out is shooting with the 5D Mark II, my ISO at the higher levels was really, really fairly noisy. And so when I would try to remove the noise in Lightroom or in Photoshop, it uh, inherently it just softens your picture a little bit. So I needed a camera that I could push the ISO because if you've ever been to a concert, which most everybody has either seen them or been to them, they can be fast moving. You know, the singers, the, uh, uh, the, the guitarists, they run around stage. So your shutter speed, typically I don't shoot any less than right around – one one twenty fifth, you know, one one eightieth of a second, just because I need to freeze that. And even sometimes, if depending on how fast you're moving, it's still blurry. Um, so the byproduct of that is I have to bump my ISO up because I'm already shooting wide open anyway. Uh, like you, I have the seventy to two hundred two eight and the twenty four to seventy two eight, and those are the two go to lenses that I shoot, and I shoot wide open pretty much the entire time. Because I'm wanting the focus of that picture to be that particular subject with everything else blurred out. So if I'm shooting the guitarist, if I'm shooting this lead singer, the drummer, the keyboardist, whatever it may be, everything else is kind of you know out of focus with the exception of, of the person that I want to be uh, in there. So some who may not understand what you mean by wide open, you're talking about at 2.8, the, the, the widest aperture. Correct. If you have an F4, like that is the max uh, uh, aperture you can get out of it, then you shoot at F4. If you have are lucky enough to have a 2.8, then shoot at F2.8 and just leave it there. Now, I do know some of your kit lenses and some of the other lenses do have variable apertures depending on if it's a zoom lens. So I just leave it as wide open as possibly to let as much light into that camera as you possibly can, but you're going to have to compensate for that with ISO. And so kind of to get back, uh, yeah, we I, I needed a better camera, so I got a 1DX, uh, and that has been, right now as we speak, that is my go-to camera body. So for those out there that are wanting to get into this and all you're shooting are the, the smaller venues that don't have as uh, good of a lighting scheme, uh, you're going to spot meter. That's the first thing. So if you can pick how your camera meters, you want a spot meter versus like a, an evaluative meter. So you want that pinpoint accuracy on the face or whatever you're, you're going to shoot. Shoot wide open uh, as, as, as low of an aperture as you can, uh, meaning as much light as you can. And then uh, you really want to make sure that your shutter speed is right around. If you have image stabilization on your lens, just that much the better. Um, but, uh, like on my, uh, my 24 to 70, it doesn't, it's a two eight and it doesn't have image stabilization, but on the 70 to 200, it does. So I can shoot a little bit, uh, of a, of wider, you know, shutter speed, but, uh, shoot a shutter speed of about 180 or higher. And then everything else is going to bump up with your ISO. Uh, typically I'll shoot a concert at, I can shoot a 6,200 ISO and just get amazing, amazing images. And they're still fairly clean. There's very little noise because of the, the quality of that camera body. Um, once you start getting to the bigger venues where the lighting schemes are better, you can bump your ISO down and get cleaner images. Um, but that's going to be at the bigger venues because the lighting systems, uh, they, they spend more money on it. So those are the, probably the biggest tips. And I think those are the ones I gave you is the spot meter, shoot wide open, uh, bump your ISO literally as high as you can get it before they're, you know, you just have too much noise to deal with. And then, uh, make sure your shutter speed, I would never, I wouldn't go below one, one eightieth of a second. I did exactly what Mike said, <laughs> and I looked at the images uh, when I got back home, and I was horrified. <laughs> I was horrified. 
there was so much noise in it. Um, and I did experiment. I didn't go over the top, but I, I believe I backed it down to 16, somewhere around there. I did try 32 and looking on the back of the camera and, and use your zoom. When you're looking at that tiny screen, zoom in. And as Mike was saying, zoom in on the face. And I, I just looked and I said, this is unacceptable. So I brought it back down to 32. Um, now, some of the venues that I've seen, the images that Mike has taken, um, those are professionally lit. And so I'm, my assumption is, because I haven't shot anything like that, uh, my assumption is that um, you're going to get a better image out of those types of venues if you can get in. If you can, but the other thing too to remember is that the the lighting also is focused on whoever is playing at the time. So if it's, for instance, a guitar solo, uh, yeah, the, the lighting is going to be fairly good on that that particular solace, but what if you're panning to the drummer and there is just a phenomenal shot of the drummer? And I think there was a picture on my website uh, of Extreme uh, that I took of drummer, of the drummer, um, K-Fig is his name. And uh, that was that was a completely low light situation that I just saw a shot and I said, this is, this is a great shot. And I, and I, and I clicked it and it turned out well, but I had to immediately dial up my ISO on the fly to be able to get that shot. Otherwise it would be underexposed because all of that lighting was focused on, uh, I believe the, the lead singer at the time, but there was this shot of the drummer that I really wanted. And so being able to make those on fly adjustments quickly uh, brings your your concert photography to the next level. And as the more you shoot, uh, you're going to figure out that rhythm because, again, you only have three songs to get that shot. And my hit rate went from, you know, I would shoot, uh, let's say, 600 exposures. My hit rate went from maybe five of those 600 that were usable to I would get, you know, 20, 30 out of that, that five, 600 shots. And so I was coming away with a lot more usable images as the more, you know, the more experience you got shooting those that, that, that type of photography. However, you're absolutely right. Uh, you need to mess around with your camera. You need to know where those dials are. It's, I, it, I, I read this somewhere. Uh, I, I wish I could give credit to where, where credit is due, but I'll paraphrase it. It's like driving your car. You know where the gear shifter is. You know where the pedals are. You know where the horn is and the blinkers and the washer, the, you know, for the wipers know where that stuff is on your camera because it needs to be automatic specifically in this type of photography because it's so fast paced if you're messing around trying to figure out how to dial up your iso or dial down your iso you're going to miss that shot and then when you miss that shot you can never get that shot back so being able to effectively adjust your camera on the fly quickly is going to be a skill that's going to pay dividends uh, as you continue to move down this this type of venue one other question about about that mm -hmm composition okay so i know when i shot the first one um the lead singer female she was very animated and uh the lighting wasn't professional lighting so it kept changing and i know when i sent you uh the images mm -hmm. um you you had a comment it's like i believe um what was it? It was something about the color, if I remember correctly. And you said um, 
maybe I over sharpened or something like that. I don't, I don't quite remember what you said. Okay. But I said, no, that's the lighting. That's the. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm dealing with, Mike. <laughs> yeah, that's the lighting. It's not professional. It was some guy in the back. It was regular light switches in the house, right. you know, yeah. that you have in your house, and it was just flicking, flicking them on, them on and off. off, or it had dimmers on it, you <laughs> <Yes>. know. <laughs> You said, oh, okay, in that uh, case. In then. that case, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but you did mention uh, um, a couple of things about my composition. And, and be honest with you, I wasn't thinking about composition because things were moving so fast. But what I did want to do was that the drummer wasn't on um, a riser, which they usually are. And I got a couple of shots. Um, I didn't send you the one on the drummer because they stunk. Okay. But Fair I enough. did send you one of the bass guitar player. Yep. And I sent you one of the keyboardist. I remember that one. And the shot was for the bass guitar player. It was a couple of shots. Mm -hmm. One strumming the strings only and then a wider shot of him but uh, sent you one of the keyboardists. I don't know if I had his, the image of him. It was, was it wide or? I think it was, the one you sent me was a wider shot, okay. if I remember right, yeah. Okay. So do you think about composition when you're shooting? Because this is, and even in a dive, mm -hmm. even in a dive is fast. Very fast. It's very fast. And I had the opportunity, there was no pit, because Mike was saying, well, you're gonna get in the pit? <laughs> What's a pit? <laughs> right. And you explained that to me. I'm like, no, it's mm. not like that. Let me send you yeah. a photograph <laughs> of this place. <laughs> so uh, composition, what, what, what's your tips on that? And do you think about it when you're shooting? At first I didn't because I'm like you. I, I was more concerned about exposure uh, because I would kind of spot check, you know, on the, on the viewing screen in the back of the camera to see if I was overexposing or underexposing. So composition kind of, for my first couple concerts, went out completely out the window. As I started to get more comfortable with the camera, composition became, again, uh, as important as getting the exposure. So here's a couple of tips. If you're shooting the guitarist, make sure the entire guitar is in the shot. You don't want to cut the neck off. You don't want to cut the body of it off. If you can compose your shot, whether you're doing portrait or landscape orientation, try to get the entire guitar into the shot. Uh, it's just more pleasing to the eye. If you're shooting the drummer, try to get one, if not both sticks somewhere in the frame. Uh, because while, yes, he's sitting behind a drum set, uh, most of the shots, like again, Alan Hess, uh, uh, Chris and Todd, if you look at the, the shots that, that, that they've done, the composition uh, that, they, that they have conveyed in their photography really is pleasing and because the drummer's tools to play his instrument are the sticks uh it's it's a good idea to have those one if not both of them in the frame so i kind of took that rule of rule of thumb if you will with the keyboardist um i try to get as much of the keyboard in the frame as well there's a great shot on my website of um uh bruce hornsby uh playing at the wolf trap and it's probably one of my better shots uh particularly from that concert and i really enjoyed it because i got 
as much of that piano, and that's what Bruce Hornsby is known. You know, that's his thing. So you want to try to lend what you're conveying based on that picture and compose accordingly. Uh, and so when you're shooting concerts, make sure you get as much of that person's instrument in frame as possible. If you're cutting the neck off for the guitarist, you know, granted, some there's some great shots where not the entire, you know, guitar is in frame. Uh, just use it as what I do, as again, kind of a, a guidelines to to compose your shot. And uh, I shoot probably about half and half. I'll shoot landscape and portrait because I want to lend depth and I want to lend spatial kind of um, awareness to the shot when I shoot landscape. When I shoot portrait uh, orientation, all I'm doing is, is focusing on that particular subject that I'm, I want in the frame. And so I'll try to compose that shot uh, where I get as much of the instrument. Um, take the background out of it because you do have, uh, you know, uh, amps and chords and, and all kinds of different things. Sometimes you can get it rid of it in post. Um, you know, again, Photoshop's gotten really good with their uh, content aware, you know, uh, software. But on a whole, you want to, I've really come full circle in that I try to get as much right in the camera so I don't spend, you know, four hours on one shot in post trying to remove a bunch of stuff or, or, or try to uh, correct, you know, the exposure levels or whatever. So from the composition standpoint, you know, those are, those are several tips that, that I've taken that I think have, you know, kind of uh, really uh, paid dividends for me. And, and all of those tips helped me out. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> So before we wrap up here, um, I want to change gears a little bit and ask you, um, where are you taking uh, Mike Bird photographies these days? So uh, I've taken a bit of a break, as you know. Um, you know, your your daily life kind of gets in in the way of other things. So I will never give up photography. It's something that is a passion of mine. I still have all of my studio gear. I still use it. I'm more focused on the private clients, you know, doing the, the headshots, doing some of the executive portraiture type stuff. It's something I can still focus on and do. I haven't shot a concert in a while, only because, again, with the, the, the day job and, you know, that type of thing. It's, uh, it's something that I won't ever give up. But what I've done is I've started to get into the blog and the vlogging scene. Uh, I've recently established a YouTube channel. Um, I've recently uh, started blogging a lot more on things that interest me. I feel like this day and age, um, if I can lend a voice to help somebody out and pay it forward, because again, I've met some phenomenal people over the course of, of my uh, time being a photographer and now you know, getting into the video scene, and I will, I will give absolute props to you, Daniel. You were into more of the video scene than I was. And so Daniel has paid it forward for me where I've helped him out with his still photography. He's helped me immensely with getting on board with the video scene. And so I've found that the video scene is – if you were to ask me a year ago, would I be doing this? I would look you in the straight in the face and go, heck no. But now that I've started to cut a couple of the YouTube videos that I have, which, you, which you've helped me with and, and starting to do a lot more on, on that scene, I've found it – pretty doggone it's addictive it is very addictive <laughs> and uh you know just having to learn and again you know uh with with lightroom and and, and photoshop I've, I've been doing fo still photography now for going on what eight nine years 
I still learn stuff in Photoshop and Lightroom that I didn't know. It's just a constantly evolving piece of software and there's always something new to learn. But I felt like I have a pretty good, you know, grasp of it. Fast forward to today, I'm learning Adobe Audition and Premiere Pro, and it's just basically like learning a brand new Lightroom and a brand new um, uh, Photoshop. But being able to, again, create something and it's got motion to it and sound and music and, and dialogue, it's, it's pretty doggone amazing. So I've really started to take to this whole video thing a lot more and uh, I've I've found it pretty pretty doggone rewarding to be able to create something that people watch and enjoy and get something out of. The the photography industry for pros mm -hmm. like you, me, we're not we're not Lindsay Adler type I wish I was. Sure. Joe McNally. Know, and... Joe McNally. <laughs> Matthew Jordan Smith. Exactly. Peter Hurley. Yes, Peter Hurley. <clears throat> Some of the folks that we like. Yeah. Shabam. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, video, motion. And you use the term motion and that's, I like using that term, motion. I, I feel that still photographers today, if they're not getting into motion, they're doing themselves a disservice. Uh, that's just my opinion on it. I do know some, some pro photographers, and I met a few, um, that they will either have someone who does videography uh, shoot their behind-the-scenes sessions. I've had uh, some photographers tell me, professional photographers say, that they will do uh, time lapse of their uh, studio sessions and hand those off to their clients and say, and, and we, it, not just the portrait clients, but we're talking about commercial as well. Um, so in your opinion, how important do you think it is since you just started doing video and I know Mike and I were texting each other back <laughs> a few weeks ago to two, three o'clock in, the, in morning. the morning. Absolutely. Um, so how, you know, now that you've done that, how important do you think um, motion is for still photographer? I, I would say, like you said, unless you're the Joe McNally's, unless you're the Scott Kelby's and the Peter Hurley's and the Lindsay Adler's, and you're making just a great living shooting those stills, I think photographers nowadays, because at least here in DC, as you know, it's such a saturated market. Uh, the just the prevalence of, of cameras and the technology, a lot of people will go out and buy a used, you know, uh, full frame camera and a couple of lenses and call themselves a, a pro photographer and undercut you and me, you know, by several hundred bucks on a project. Uh, but again, for your listeners out there, you know, again, you get what you pay for and you want to do the research on your photography, on your photographer. Um, but as I evolved into the video stuff, I, can can honestly say now I've only been doing video now for what uh, four or five months or so right I kick myself for not having gotten into this earlier I think it's a great um, uh, side thing that a photographer can do because the principles are still the same your lighting is still the same you need to have good solid lighting you need to have good exposure what a still photographer has to learn is if they plan on doing their own editing is the software you know the premieres 
the DaVinci, if that's what you're going to use. And there's a lot of options out there, even if you're just using iMovie, you know, if you're using, um, you know, Apple's version, uh, you know, uh, Final Cut, right? So whatever you want to use, use it, but know that software and know how to use things like transitions. And, and even you, and you've been helpful with this, is knowing how to, the different cut sequences and how to, how to make those pleasing to the eye. There's so much out there on YouTube and there's so much out there uh, on the, on just, just open source internet that you can learn. And I've learned a lot. Peter McKinnon, um, who, who is a, just a, he's a boss, uh, Google Peter, Peter McKinnon on, on, on YouTube. He's a Canadian photographer, but he does so much providing free tutorials and things. And I've learned so much from him in addition to you, Daniel, is that I've, I've actually become fairly comfortable with the editing process in a short amount of time. So I think going back to your original question, if you're going to evolve in this day and age and still be able to make a living, I think you have to add add video to your repertoire. If you're going to shoot weddings, the video is a, a logical request that they're going to want to have in addition to the still photos. So I think being able to have a grasp of video production is imperative for still photographers. The other thing too is most of the of the um, prosumer to professional grade cameras, Nikon. Uh, Panasonic, uh, obviously Canon, they all shoot video now and they all shoot great video. The one DX that I have shoots, you know, 1080p, uh, high def, uh, you throw on the right lenses and you know what you're doing with the camera, you're going to shoot amazing, amazing video. And so because all of the cameras now shoot video, it's, it's, it's kind of, um, that, that old adage, you know, uh, I think, what is it that we use 25% of our brain, right? right? Brain power. Well, if you're not shooting video with your camera and it does it. You're only using half of what your camera's capabilities are. So I think if you, it, and, and there's so much out there free that you don't have to spend a dime on that I've learned uh, on how to shoot video. Plus, you know, your network with your friends that may shoot video, you're going to learn a lot and it's going to add to your repertoire and you can add that to uh, a potential client's um, request, you know, that they want video shot at this particular event in addition to, in addition to stills. So I would say without a doubt, in my opinion, and again, this is my opinion, I think unless you're making a very good living shooting just strictly stills, you, you almost have to add video to your repertoire because it's going to be, give you another avenue as a money generator. I'm just going to let Mike close out here and talk about um, that little video shoot and what he's doing with motorcycles these days. Yeah. So it's a funny thing. You know, I have a lot of passions in my life um, and I've recently got into motorcycle competition. And so I pinged Daniel here about helping me out and shooting some things because what I found out in, in a nutshell, I wanted to do a lot of modifications and there was no information out there. There was little to none on the stuff that I wanted to do to my bike. And so I, I looked at that and I took a step back in the, you know, over analytical personality that I have. And I said, why can't I provide some of that information, uh, you know, in a centrally located YouTube channel? And that's when I pinged you and we started to looking at going out to, you know, the, the parking lot that we used and, and you'll see on the videos, if you go to my YouTube channel, uh, a lot of that footage was shot by, by Daniel. And uh, what I found is, is that, you know, through that, I've, I've really ignited this kind of uh, joint passion between videography and my motorcycle riding. 
And so what I'm doing now is I'm trying to provide tutorials and training on, you know, people that is a very, very specific niche. I'm not looking to go out and, you know, buy my next uh, home in, you know, my summer home in Tuscany with this. But what I've figured out is, is trying to provide information and tutorials and instructional things on being uh, a safer rider. Uh, if you want to get into the competition like I've been doing. Uh, doing that sort of stuff. So the videography and that is kind of what's centered around my YouTube channel, but also keeping that common thread that I have with photography. And as you said, uh, as we both affectionately call each other, uh, gearheads, you know, so there's always something out there and you're the one that turned me on to doing the separate audio track versus doing audio and video on the same track. So I went out and got a Tascam uh, recorder and and it's just that the you know the the information you've given me was as helpful if not more helpful than the stuff I've given you on the still, and so that's what I've kind of decided I'm I was going to take the next avenue, blog about it, vlog about it, uh, do good quality video productions on on YouTube as my outlet as my creative outlet, and continue to kind of go along that route and that's what I've I've chosen to kind of you know. How long is this going to go? I don't know, but it's something that I really enjoy doing it. So I'm going to actually just kind of see what the full potential is going to be with this. You did enter a competition in York, Pennsylvania? Uh, Gettysburg. Gettysburg. Uh, how did that come uh, out? My very first competition, I was I placed third. 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 So, uh, and it was sixty something riders out there. So I was, uh, I was pretty, pretty happy that uh, that I placed as high as I did. And so now I've been bitten by the bug, uh, and I plan on doing a lot more uh, with that. And uh, if if I can, just real quick too, uh, just to wrap up with the photography aspect, I wanted to make sure that I conveyed this to to folks. Be patient. Establish your port, your your portfolio. Um, if this is the type of photography that you want to get into, it's high paced, it's very competitive. Getting those media passes can be uh, a bit of a, a pain sometimes, but do the homework on the band, know what you're shooting, listen to that music before you go in there and shoot. So kind of know what that music and style is. There's YouTube concert footage of probably that band somewhere. Find that, see what they do, and just, just do your work, uh, your homework on shooting that band and be patient because it'll pay off in the end because I, me being able to shoot some of the acts that I've been able to shoot has been something I didn't think I would be able to do and I was able to do it because uh, I, I focused on that craft and I was able to establish you know my portfolio to where it looks professional I'm trying to take really good shots to, to when it's all said and done the management wants the band to look good and if you're taking crappy shots they're not going to want to give you a media pass if you're taking great shots that they feel like they can use and and I've been very fortunate where I'm now getting the licensing. I'm now getting the fees for them to use it for marketing. Uh, it's 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 been a really kind of a great run, and it's 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 something that I'm not ever, as we said before, going to give up. So this is something that's been a passion of mine. So I'll stick with it. That's it for today's show, Mike. Thank you for coming on the show, buddy, and sharing your knowledge with us. Daniel, it's been an honor, buddy. Subscribe to the show and check out the show notes for all the links on today's show. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the Photographer's Notebook podcast. Be sure to visit thephotographersnotebook.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, subscribe, and discover our fantastic bonus content. 